creating the right emotional environment in your company, the right continuous training in your company, the right continuous exploration in your company, innovation, bringing that all together and how you optimize that is not by basically getting quarterly earnings, is by having highly adaptive people. That is the voice of one of my favorite mentors through books and video, Ed Hess. And just listening to him, that reminds me of back in the 1990s, I finally landed a dream job after toiling in public accounting and working my way up the ranks. I just received a six-figure bonus the year before, and I was now working in a position of influence where my voice was actually being heard and acted on. So I felt like I was at the top of the world, but I was depressed over the following year when I got that dream position because we had senior managers who had started in the business years earlier and they kept getting promoted. And even though they were friends, they should not have. The business was outgrowing them. About 12 years later, when I read Smart Growth by Ed Hess, I finally, finally got the bigger idea on the scientific meaning of smart growth versus Wall Street growth and how that applied to the cognitive and emotional abilities of people. I love this book, and I love this author. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf. My chat with Ed Hess is coming up next. Again, my guest is Ed Hess. He's making his second appearance on the show. We're talking about my favorite book ever on the topic of growth, and it's aptly named Smart Growth. Today, he teaches in the MBA and EMBA programs at Darden, but Ed has not always been a lifelong educator. I had three very different professions, all right? I mean, uh, I, began my, I began my career as a lawyer. All right, and uh, and I went from law uh, to investment banking. Then I went back to school for cognitive psychology, and then I went back to investment banking, and then I became a professor. Um, gosh, professor would have been. 2000 and 2002. Okay. Right? So I've been a professor for 20, 21 years. And uh, so I've been lawyer, investment banker, professor. And during uh, that 21 or so years, I've lost count. Is it now 13 books you've written? 15. 15 I'm 15. sorry. I, I okay. Please okay. forgive me. Uh, no, no. That, that is remarkable. And I've read to my count, I was doing the count before we got started. I think I've read seven of your books and I'm going to mention one of the titles that you probably have probably forgotten about, but I'll say that till uh, the end. Well, I want to, I've got to express my gratitude. When we first met, we talked about hyper growth. That book had just come out. So that was our topic. And I thought, well, maybe someday we'll get to talk about smart growth. It is one of my top 25 books I've ever read. And I was having an interview with Willie Donaldson, who former business owner. He's now a professor. And we were talking about you. We both, we're, we're both part of your fan club. 
And Willie just said, Mark, just go ahead and email Ed and say you want to talk about smart growth. So here we are. I I just want to say, Ed, this is, again, one of the best books ever written because every business owner needs to hear the message about growth. And we're going to talk about your framework that's in this book. But do you still have people coming to you, thanking you for this book? No, not recently. Not not recently. And I think I think part of it is is that our system, which I was trying to improve, you know, the the, the quarterly earnings, the Wall Street growth mental model is is more powerful today than it was when I wrote the book challenging it. It's a good point. And uh and so I think that and it's it's in that reason that reason that people have basically just said, this is the game. All right. So we have to play it. Uh, It's also why, you know, I spent a lot of time and everything on that book and another book after it, trying to have impact on, um, you know, the, what should be the story of, of business growth. All right. And, and, what started me on the new journey to, you know, personal growth and the ways organizations will succeed in moving. I, I, I made the decision. I can't, I can't change Wall Street. Okay. But maybe I can help companies and people. All right. Change themselves so that they become highly adaptive and better at what they're doing. And so they, they will, and and by creating better better learners, more adaptive people, people that know how to think and how to listen and how to collaborate with other people, that maybe people like that will say, and many people have done it, will will say, wait a minute, okay, we're going to run our company the way we want to run it, and uh, and we're going to build these models which in, enable high you know, high performance, cognitively, emotionally, and behaviorally. And that's going to be how we're going to do well, okay? We're not going to play the game. We may be forced to play some game, but we're going to be getting the building blocks which really create growth. I'm glad you brought that up because as I looked at the books you wrote after, now, if I correct me if I'm wrong, Grow to Greatness may have came after Smart Growth. But one thing I noticed in the arc of the titles coming after that, it's like learning, learning, learning was a key, key component of of the next books. By the way, in Smart Growth, I, I did the math on this. I think I'm close. I don't think it's accurate completely. But the word learning, learn or learned, past tense comes up no fewer than 76 times in smart growth. So you're already thinking, you already had this bias of learning. I want to make two two quick points, if I can interject real quickly. Uh, this is not an anti-growth book. It is not an anti, I just want to make that clear to everybody, this is not anti-growth. I do want to read real quickly the four lines in the growth mindset. To me, this is absolutely true. It's going to be absolutely true 200 years from now, 
This is absolutely true in every culture, every country. Uh, it, it's it's always going to be true. But number one, the growth mindset says got to continually grow or we die, grow or die. Number two, growth is always good. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take some liberties and underline the word always, always. Uh, number two, public company growth should occur continuously and smoothly. And I find that one a hoot, but a hoot in that this is so right. And then finally, a quarterly earnings should be a primary measure of public company success. Uh, that is, I'm just here to say that is absolutely true. Even if you wrote this book many years ago, it's still true today. It's tr- it's true today. And when I wrote the Smart Growth book, the Smart Growth book's purpose was to put out a scientific basis that that shows that it's not true. In fact, it's it created the 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 the, the growth smart growth position is what created all right the need all right for people to focus on earnings but then it was created created the quarterly earnings gain so not only did you have to grow but you had to grow every quarter all right and so and i wrote the book smart growth because the science the science behind growth and the examples and the test and and i created a a, a major a computer program when I, when I did this when I was teaching was at a business school at Emory and I had great funding and I had uh, great uh, technical people working with me, computer scientists, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, the, the smart growth book is, is got in it, you know, all the, the science and the science says, you know, the world doesn't work that way. All right. You know, if the world is business world is not, this nice art going up and, and it created the smart growth book uh, created quite a, a, quite a furry. All right. Um, And um, lots of people started looking into it and, uh, but the science and the models and I would over for several years, way back when then, all right. Uh, you know, we do a we we do a, a growth index every year showing the the data, and the data never improved. And so, what it was is is um, it was a story. And see, I also have to say, I was on Wall Street when this story was created, mm. and I remember being in my office in this senior partner. Uh, you know, came in and says, Ed, come on, we got a, I got something here I need you to handle. So we go into his office and we get on the phone and he's, he says, this is so-and-so, he's the CEO of so-and-so and he needs, um, he needs your help. And I said, okay, hello, Mr. So-and-so. And he says, no, call me, then whatever. I says, what's the problem? He says, I need four, I need four cents of earnings in two weeks. I said, okay, um, what do you want to buy? He says, I don't care what you buy. Just get me four cents. Maybe it was four weeks, four weeks. 
give me four cents in four weeks. I mean, that was the go. That was the game. All right. And and what I was trying to do with it is, wait a minute. You can you can continue growth. All right. You, you don't growth doesn't have to be zigzag, but the continuation of the growth is highly dependent on the leadership of the company, how the company is managed, and as importantly, the people in the company and their performance. And so the purpose of taking on the Wall Street goal was to say, wait a minute, for the country, for the community, for families, for everyone, the, you know, growth comes about, okay, it's it's not just numbers. It's cognition, emotions, and behaviors. And creating the right emotional environment in your company, the right continuous training in your company, the right continuous exploration in your company, et cetera, innovation, et cetera, et cetera. Bringing that all together and how you optimize that is not by basically getting quarterly earnings, is by having highly adaptive people who continuously can learn, unlearn, relearn, innovate, et cetera, go into the unknown and figure things out. All right. Those are the, those, that's how you basically can stay on that good curve. I did not read this book until early 2015. And when I read it, I, I, I tend to get a little bit overzealous with books I love. So at the time I was working about 11 or 12 CEOs and one of my all-time favorite businesses, very young management team, young ownership, they loved the book. They loved it so much, they looked you up. And I, at the time, you had online webinars. You had some type of learning for outsiders. And they loved it. And even, even some of the managers that I've stayed in touch with, they still say they loved it. So, I, I again, I'm just I'm just... Once again, a thank you and a huge compliment uh, for this book. You mentioned the research. Yeah, there there are a lot of case studies, uh, public company case studies, and they're very readable. I mean, for people who are very pragmatic in thinking, it's good stuff. I, I love the the one with uh, Harley Davidson. Uh, yeah. There again, there are several. They're just so fun to read. Tiffany, I loved it. Uh, that was exceptional. But you also had a couple of companies in there, at least one that's a private company. And by the way, I looked him up. His name is uh, Dave Lindsay. And one of the quotes that you have in the book, it's on his LinkedIn profile. Are there any stories that you remember with fondness in the book? Uh, there's, I mean, there's some good, there's some good stories in the book, uh, public and, and private. Dave's was a very good story. I love that. It was a very good story, and uh, and in fact, I had Dave uh, come out uh, when uh, uh, okay. garden here to to give talks to on entrepreneurship to the to students and stuff. And uh, uh, his was a very good story. The room and board private company is a very good story. That's a great one. And the room and board story is still ongoing uh, today. I mean, I was I uh, was talking with our CHRO last week. And uh, and it is still, you know, the, the the story is there. The public company 
story. I mean, Costco was a great story. Costco's excellent. Um, and, uh, and it has historically done well maintaining its model. And, you know, and then there's other stories in the book where public companies either become because of CEO changes or some other type of changes had, you know, went, went down and, uh, you know, and changed the systems. The Best Buy story is a transformational story, yes. which was very interesting. But then years later, because of changes, it went down and it needed another transformational story. Uh, Home Depot. UPS, UPS was a very interesting story because it went back to the founder and every CEO only had one job in their career and it began at UPS. All right. And that, and then UPS all of a sudden had a hiccup. Okay. Um, with a, a CEO who was, did not start his career at UPS. He was, he came into UPS cause he was um, one of the chief people at a company UPS saw. And, you know, and so his tenure was very short because of what what happened. But so the UPS story has historically, um, but it's it's. I mean, I did a lot of work with UPS people. I mean, you know, U, UPS executives ate every day in the uh, company uh, lunchroom uh, with everybody else. They had no parking places. Okay, there was no corporate jets. All right, they you know they. Flew on Delta like everybody else. Uh, very humble people. Very so. There's lots of great stories out there. Uh, uh, you know, the Marriott family. Uh, you know, built a great company based on. I mean, they're building it before me, but I mean, you know, the, they were. You know, and they created something that was very much like Costco, very much like UPS. I mean, so there's companies been out there, but the pressures, the pressures since really in the last 20 years, the pressures on company or earnings um, have, you know, it's, it's just, it's, you know, there's not as many of those stories now. Um, go back to the story in, uh, Houston. It it wasn't, it wasn't Cisco, was it? Yes. Cisco Cisco is my, that may be my favorite story. Cisco, Cisco. And uh, it's been a, you know, and, uh, and and Cisco was a a fantastic story. And uh, uh, the Cisco got it and got in there and, and got into the story because they were one of the companies that agreed to, be on a conference I was I was doing, and I got to know him, and I went out there, and it was, it was fascinating. I mean, CEO's office was nothing big and fancy, uh, but you know I went in and he had papers all over everything. I said, "Do you mind if I ask what's going on?" He said, "We got a I got a problem here, and I'm got my teams working on it, and I'm working on it, and we're just we're getting into the nitty gritty here because." You know, we're not we 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 want to figure things out and you know and you know and keep being who we are. And I looked at him, and so he sat sat me down and he says, "You just sit there. And when I ask you questions, you answer. And when if not, you know, just watch what I'm doing." And I mean, 
you know, it was that type of thing that the CEO and he didn't have a staff there. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't, it was just, I gotta, I gotta dig deep into this and papers everywhere and whatever. And he says, let me run this by you. What do you think of this? Some things I could answer or not, but you know, so much of it comes down to, as I look back on my journey with companies and in getting involved in them and writing about them, so much of it comes down to the leadership. And so much of that is highly determined on how they were not only trained, but how they grew up. Great point. How they grew up. And, and that was their views because so many of the, I mean, almost all the people that I found that were doing it right, they, they didn't have a big ego. All right. I mean, the way they treated people, I mean, from, you even go to Tiffany's, the Tiffany story in the book is such, I mean, Tiffany, uh, uh, you know, I went to Tiffany and I was just, and I went real early to Tiffany because I wanted to sit in the waiting room and see how the receptions and everybody treated people. Cause you know, Tiffany was like, you know, jewelry and big fancy stuff and everything, you know, and you know, don't, don't forget. I was a country boy. I mean, Tiffany was wild. And, CEO comes out himself, not not a uh, secretary or a CEO comes out and says, are you Ed? He said, yeah, I'm so-and-so. I said, nice to meet you. He says, come on in. And he, you know, we, we sit down in his office, have a chat. And he says, you know who the most important person is in this company? And I said, oh, my gosh, here goes. He's going to tell me how important he is. He says, Tiffany, she's the most important. And my job is to make sure that she continues to be the best, et cetera, et cetera, and that she takes care of all our people. Never mentioned earnings. It's, 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 it's really, I was so fortunate to get to meet so many wonderful people. I mean, and, you know, Herb Kelleher, the founder of Southwest Airlines, uh, just an amazing man. Uh, amazing man. I was doing some work with him and it was getting time for me to go. And he said, you know, you, we, of course I flew on Southwest air to Dallas and I flew out. He says, you know, I got, I'll get the car waiting for you to take you to the airport. You don't, you won't have any trouble getting in the plane. They, they know you're coming. So don't worry. He says, come on with me. And he was this, he's a big man. I mean, he was, he, he was one of the founders. He built Southwest airlines. And his office was an interior office. He didn't have all these big windows and stuff, interior. He says, come walk through this, this floor with me. He goes into that floor, and all of a sudden, people start standing up, coming up to him, shaking his hand and hugging him, men and women. And he, I looked at him, and I says, does this happen every time? He says, <laughs> Every day I go through a floor of the company and spend time with the people. He says, what's, what's, what's the, 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 you know, the how's Southwest airlines, what's it called? It's the love airlines. We're the love business and everybody loves each other here. And my job is to make sure that loves continue to be how we treat each other. 
And he's talking platonic love, obviously. And uh, so it's fascinating out there. And what's so interesting today is to sit back today, and I'll ask you, all right, because you're out there too in the world. That type of emphasis on people, it seems to be much rarer today. It is rare. It is rare. There, there is a one of my all-time favorite CEOs. I, I do not like to put any CEO up on a pedestal with Herb. I would. There is another, uh, Alan Mulally. Uh, I've heard him speak, not in person, but I've heard him speak in private sessions. And a document will come up that has his 13 or 14 points of management. And his first point is love up on your people. And I believe it. When he says that, I completely believe it. And it's like, why can't there be more Herb Kelleher's and Al Mulally's? And I agree with you. It, it, it is rare to see that type of yeah, a person. I mean, Another person, Horst Schulte, who built it. Yes. Um, he's, you know, he was in Atlanta. And so when I was teaching at Emory, we got to know each other. And, you know, I got into the company and everything. Uh, he's every, when he was running it, every day, every shift, there's a 15, 20 minute session where every employee to the manager, to the chef, everybody's there. And there's a, in effect, certain things are talked about, you know, one or two principles to remember our principles and do this. And you have the power to do this, but also remember to take care of each other and take care of the customers. I'm going to be guilty of asking and partially answering the question, but I have been greatly influenced by the writings of, of, of Deming. I don't ever, ever recall in any of his writing and by the way, he wasn't the greatest writer. Uh, that, that's why he had ghost writers. We've had one of his ghost writers on the show. I do especially like the people who've written about him, who attended his four-day uh, workshops, three-day workshops. Uh, they are phenomenal, some of these reads. The thing he always preached, either directly or indirectly, it wasn't ever about earnings. Keep improving keep improving. So if, if the message is not about growth, then what is the answer? I use the word learning instead of improving. Yes. But it's the same thing. Okay. I'm not saying my message and especially in the era we're in now, which the speed because of technology, the speed of learning has got to become much, much quicker. And, and, and that's why I, I write about in my new book, the need to become a highly adaptive learner who can learn, unlearn and relearn at the speed of technological change. This AI stuff is amazing. It's challenging, frightening. It's fun. And it's everything. All right. The best the best people out there, the best scientists out there are saying for the United States, you know, we're looking at. 25 to 47 percent of the jobs be automated this decade, okay, within the next seven years. Other scientists have come out in the United States and said, based on what we see, a person today will have five completely different jobs in the next 10 to 15 years. Five completely different jobs. And so when you get smart technology, see, that's the key here, the smart technology. When you get the smart technology involved, 
my goodness gracious, all right? How do we human beings, because we're not wired to be really highly adaptive learners, because as we get older, we're wired basically to go out in the world and seek confirmation of what we believe, all right? Affirmation of how smart we are, our ego pats on the head, okay? And and it's this and cohesiveness about our stories. Nobody wants to go out and be told your story is completely wrong. Okay. And in most cases, when people are told that, you know, they, uh, if they have a big ego, they basically, you know, defend, deny, deflect, attack. All right. Uh, if they're a learning type person, you know, they'd ask the question, why do you believe that? What do you think's wrong with my story? You try to have a conversation, see what you can learn, because maybe there is something wrong. All right. So the whole environment, uh, cultural, behavioral, and emotionally, is going to be, if we thought social media was a big change, hacking emotions, where we are right now is, is there's the risk of hacking your thinking. All right. That uh, AI can hack your thinking and get you thinking the way it thinks you can think. And clearly it may be wrong. And, um, and all the big experts say that. And so it's, it's a, we're, we're in a new era here, which is, uh, uh, is going to require, just like you said, in, but it, see, the key thing inside companies in order for companies to become highly adaptive companies, they got to be willing and have processes for how do you innovate? How do you explore? You know, people are going to make mistakes. How do you keep them small? Okay. If they make mistakes, how are they treated? Right. Okay. Or they said, wait a minute. Okay. That didn't work out, but what did you learn? Oh, you learned that. Go try that. Instead of saying you dumb idiot or you whatever, or gee whiz, your, 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 your numbers are not going to look good for this quarter or what, you know what I'm saying? It's this whole thing. This is going to sound either weird or funny. A key and probably the key determiner of success of private and public companies going forward in this age is going to be the emotional abilities of the human beings in the emotional environment in the workplace. Not the data, not the numbers, nothing wrong. You don't have data and numbers, but it's who's going to have the best learners who can excel at doing the things the technology can't, who can create things faster than the competition, who can basically adapt to what's happening in the world because it's no more you know houston or dallas or washington or seattle or whatever seattle it may be a lot about since that's that's where uh, the you know ai journey is is coming out of but but you know it's it's you know how do you how do you basically create an environment that enable people to continuously learn, unlearn, and relearn to stay relevant and for that 
people have to be relevant for your company to be relevant, unless you're going to have all smart robots. In private, the first time I reached out to you for the second time, I referred to you either as Professor Hess or Dr. Hess. And, and I know, I knew what you're going to say, but yeah. I want you to hear something. Three people who had a huge impact on my younger self, Mrs. Dawson, Mrs. Harmon, Mr. Clem, my math teacher of three years, my business teacher of three years, my principal of four years. This is in high school. And looking back, they were some of the most beautiful people who had an impact on where I am today. Ten years later, it was still Mrs. Harmon, Mrs. Dawson, Mr. Clem. Now, Ed, Ed Clem would say, call me Ed, never, never. That would be disrespectful, Mr. Clem. So just know if I ever accidentally call you Dr. Hess, Professor Hess, it's because of, I think of you as my Mrs. Dawson, my Mrs. Harmon, my Mr. Clem. You're 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 most you're most kind and you're most kind and uh, you know of course um, you know I I won't I won't I won't jump down your throat or anything but I probably just automatically would say please just call me yeah yes and, uh, yeah all the best all the best my friend all the best keep hey keep doing keep doing you're in you're 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 in a good place you're in a good place. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Ed Hessigan, thank you very much. The book is Smart Growth. It's obvious. I recommend it. And then Grow to Greatness, I would get it, read it next. And then either read Learn or Die or Humility is the new Smart but go ahead and get all four books, including the one we talked about today, Smart Growth. Uh, these are not how-to books. They are thinking books. So just keep that in mind if you are a chief executive officer. You'll want a journal to take notes as you are reading all of these books, whether you get the three or the four. Uh, by the way, coming up next, wherever you listen to the show, is a second interview with Ed Hess. We'll be talking about his 2023 book release, Own Your Own Work Journey. We need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. Mm-hmm.